Hello and welcome to the CU20 podcast. We are a group of Christians who live in Montreal. We meet together on Wednesday nights to discuss issues of faith in Jesus Christ and how to serve Him in the modern world. We hope that you enjoy today's podcast, which is a sermon from our series on holiness. We've got a whiteboard and everything, so you know it's legit tonight. Right, so we're actually doing our last part of the holiness series tonight. Uh, we've been through a few topics already covering holiness, and I want to kind of just re- lead you by way of reminder through the topics we've already covered, and that way you get an understanding of the journey that we've been on together uh, and how we've arrived at the point that we're at tonight. So the, the sermons that we've looked at, so this is the fourth one, have been looking at the idea of growing in holiness. And the track that we've been looking at has led us from sort of thought to action, from sort of internal to external, from private to public. It's, it's been a journey of sort of beginning with uh, the, the change of heart that then comes out of a change of life. And so I'm going to just grab this so I can list, do this instead. So uh, I'm left-handed. I guess it makes more sense like this, yes. So the first topic we did was Alive to Bring Him Glory. Um, and that was basically looking at the, the privilege that it is to know God and to understand that our life has meaning, our life has purpose, and that purpose is found in following the direction that He puts out for it, which is essentially the, the, you know, the bread and butter of holiness, is understanding what is the will of God and how do I go about doing it. So we, we, we aimed at the beginning, I guess this is almost sort of like pre-even talking about holiness, is just talking about the privilege it is to even have the option of holiness uh, and getting excited about that. The second topic was then encounter. An encounter was just um, the, uh, sorry, my writing you will discover is not good. Um, encounter was looking at the necessity that exists in order to to rely on the power of prayer and fellowship with God if we pursue a life of holiness. To know that fellowship with God cannot be neglected if we desire to grow in holiness. This is not something that we can attain just by simple self-discipline or by having the right system in place. This is something that by encountering God personally uh, and the gospel really becoming real to us, uh, are we going to gain the ability to really pursue God the way that he requires pursuit? And so the third one, so these are largely sort of internal, you know, things going on in your heart. The third one is where we began to sort of be outwardly, and that was strive. So in strive, uh, yeah, okay. In strive, we looked at the necessity of uh, holiness being uh, an exercise of the will that you need to have self-discipline. Uh, it is an absolutely necessary component in you know, meeting the, the strong forces of sin in your heart and in the world around you requires that we, we stand firm. Uh, to shed sin and to pursue God requires discipline, it requires effort. And so we need to ha- make a strong effort towards doing that. A life of holiness is one that will make us different from everyone else. And being different is difficult, uh, but we need to embrace that challenge if we want to do it. So the last one we're looking at today is love. So in love, what I'm going to argue today is that holiness 
should produce love and generosity. And if we want to have a life that's characterized by love and generosity, an absolute necessary component of that is that we are living a highly productive and effective life. And so that's why I say it's going to be a, a sermon on love that's probably unlike what you've heard before, because we're going to be drawing out the, the definition of love into to live a life of love means to live a life that's highly productive. Uh, and I'm going to make that argument. But holiness is not something that we very naturally associate with love. I think because often we see holiness as some, somewhat of a private endeavor, something that... Uh, you know, it's about abstinence, it's about not doing certain things, or it's about something that's primarily characterized by prayer or by these sort of like self-discipline type of things where, you know, it's just sort of me and God together and that's what it lives, looks like to live a holy life, a very prayerful life, a very abstinent life. But absolutely not. We seldom make that connection as love being an expression of holiness, but it's really a mistake that we fall into. And the, the reasons that we can look and see that mistake is found very clearly in the passage that we keep coming back to in 1 Peter. So we're going to go again to 1 Peter chapter 1, our old faithful passage, uh, and look at verse 22. And verse 22 is going to show us the connection quite clearly. So 1 Peter... Hang on too far. First Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Now that you have been purified, sorry, now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love each other deeply from the heart. For you have been born again not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. Let's pray. Lord, as we open up your Word now, and as we seek to understand your will for our life, we recognize that naturally we are lost. But with you and with your revelation, we have hope and we can pursue a life of meaning and integrity. And we pray, Lord, that you help us to understand rightly what your will for our life is. And God, we need you. So may you help us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what do we see in this passage? We see that holiness, which is, as, as Peter says, uh, obeying the truth. And, you know, you understand obeying the truth. Yeah, that sounds like holiness. Obeying the truth leads to having a love for each other. And then it goes on to say, love each other deeply. And that word deeply is reminiscent of this idea that comes up in Scripture of an effort being required. It's, it's going to be tough. It's going to require a duration, a long duration, a, 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 you know, a really drawing yourself out of it. To love deeply requires work. It requires uh, sustained effort over time. And the reason that they're able to do so is because of the imperishable seed that has been planted within them. Because of this godly seed, the seed that comes from God and from the gospel, they can reflect the character and actions of God, holiness. And that is the, the root, if you will, of the love that they can have for each other. So this, this imperishable seed produces love as we walk in obedience to the truth. So a pure heart, a holy heart, is one that can recognize sin and be repulsed by it, be, be sort of see it for what it is, something that is disgusting. 
And so it cannot therefore remain indifferent because indifference, I believe, is evil. It's sinful. When we see someone suffering, when we see the brokenness around us, it is only an unholy heart that could remain indifferent to these things, not a holy heart. And we see this exhibited in Christ. Uh, a quote I'm going to give you, this comes from Dane Ortland's book, um, Gentle and Lowly. He says this, Just as the purer the heart, the more horrified at evil, so also the purer the heart, the more it is naturally drawn out to help and relieve and protect and comfort, whereas a corrupt heart still is, sits still, indifferent. So with Christ, his holiness finds evil revolting, more revolting than any of us could ever feel. But it is that very holiness that also draws his heart out to help and relieve and protect and comfort. The truth is, if our hearts are left alone, we are just naturally going to go down to settle with apathy, settle with indifference, settle for the lowest resistance of life. We're just not going to try very hard, sacrifice very much. But through the work of God, we develop a holy love, a holy longing, a holy tenderness in us to see the hurting uh, be, receive relief, to see those who are longing for change, to be part of that change that they need, that they need in life. So if that's the case, it produces within us what uh, Matt Person, uh, who wrote the book, uh, what's, what's Best Next? It's a Christian, like sort of uh, motivational book in a sense. It, it's, it's about productivity. And actually a lot of what I'm going to say tonight comes from this book. Uh, it's a great book. And if you need to take a picture of it or get the references, come see me afterwards. But he talks about um, this, this new drive that comes within us when we become Christians. And he nicknames, nicknames it the GDP which is the gospel-driven productivity, which is a terrible pun, but you know, I wanted to bring it up. GDP. And so what we're going to do today is frame the idea of love, not in this sentimental term of having a deep sense of compassion for others. Obviously, that's true. Not in a romantic term of having the sort of like sense of self-sacrifice uh, for, you know, this object of your desire. We're going to frame love in the sense of a desire to serve other people. Because that's fundamentally what love is. It's a desire to serve another, in the way that Jesus says the golden rule, to do unto others as you would have them do to you. That's the essence of, of what we're called to do. That's the essence of the love we're called to have towards other people, to serve them in meaningful and productive ways. And so if that's what love means, to, in order to accomplish this, we need to live productive lives. I was listening to um, someone talk about uh, John D. Rockefeller, who, is, um, who was arguably the richest man who's ever lived. Depending on how you measure wealth, he was uh, and could still be considered today the richest man who has ever lived. Uh, ridiculously lived. He was also uh, a, a professing Christian. And his kind of theology of wealth, if you could call it that, was that it was a Christian duty for every, so basically for every Christian, it was their duty to make as much money as possible so that they could give away as much money as possible. And he ended up giving away half a billion dollars uh, in his lifetime. And that's half a billion dollars of like 1910 money. So that's a lot. 
He gave away half a billion dollars. Many, many schools and hospitals and all sorts of things were founded by his, his, his foundations. Uh, and it was very interesting that that was his approach. Now, I'm not going to use him as a model because he was certainly a morally gray character, to say the least. But it's interesting as a good example to look at a life of effectiveness and productivity for the sake of others. Because that's what his idea was. I want to be as productive and as effective as possible for the sake of giving away as much money as I possibly can. It's an interesting idea and one that I think isn't far from the truth. God will call us to give an account of how we spend our time and the resources that he's given us. At the end of the day, we will stand before God and he will ask us, what did we do with the time and the resources that we have been given? He will ask us to give a productivity account. What did you produce? What were you able to achieve? Ephesians 5 tells us to make the best use of the time that we have. And in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, it tells us exactly how we ought to, to you know, seek to spend our time. Ephesians 5, 1 says this, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we are called to live as those who are loved and then therefore to live a life of love. Giving yourself up, I got loud, sorry. Giving yourself up for others in the same way that Christ gave himself up for us. So if we're going to do this, we have to think about how to structure our thoughts and our life about being as effective as possible. And so a productive life is one, if we could define it this way, as doing the best things with your time. It's not simply a life of efficiency and saying, I'm getting a lot done. It's a life of effectiveness, doing the right kind of things. Holiness leads to love. Love leads to service and generosity, and service and generosity come out of productivity. So what I want to spend our time looking at today is how to live the most productive life, how to live a life of loving service to others. So the rest of the sermon is going to be kind of looking down the lens of productivity towards the goal of a life marked by holiness and love. That's what we're going to look at tonight. Productivity leading to a life marked by holiness and love. So productivity equals being effective. I should clean this and start again. Where's my marker? Oh, there it is. So productivity, I'm just going to say P, equals being effective. There are two enemies to productivity. The first is ambiguity, not knowing why we exist, what's the point of it all. Someone's got to help me spell this. Ambiguity. There you go. I think E or I? I. Okay. Ambiguity. And the second is overload, trying to do too many things. You can understand why these things exist as the enemies of productivity. If you are directionless, you're not going to be doing the best things with your time. And if you are overloaded, you're going to be too, doing too much and the best things will be lost in the midst of it all. And so to combat these things, people have written and written and written all kinds of books to help you combat the, the lack of productivity that our lives can fall into. And so what this guy, Matt Person, uh, draws out is that if you look at these books and the way that they've come out, they've kind of followed a pattern. And he's, he's identified four generations 
of the way that the teachings have come over time. And the first generation, the very first kind of books on, on, um, on productivity, focused on getting organized. So it was about making sure you got your to-do lists and making sure you are scheduling your time right, that kind of stuff. And then, and this is not like a either or situation, but this is the way that they have like sort of built up upon each other. So the, the second generation was about goal setting. It was about um, making plans and setting goals. So what they basically realized is it wasn't enough to simply be organized. You needed to do more than that. You need to be organized, but you also had to set goals. You had to set you know, long-term plans to see them come to fruit as well. And then they realized, well, that's not really enough as well because you need a bit more than that. So generation, the third generation focused on values. You have to identify values and then make your goals fall in line with those values. So if you value, uh, I don't know, what's a good one? If you value uh, making a good product as a company and you know, like quality is one of your values, then your goals are gonna line up with you know, the way your R&D department work and whatever else, it's gonna line up with those values and then you're gonna be more productive at the end of the day. And this is largely a subjective thing, something that you can choose. You can choose whatever value you want for your company. And the last one, the one that we're at today, is the fourth generation, and this is of principles. And so principles are on top of values in the sense that they're unchanging and, uh, and then they're, they're uh, objective rather than subjective. So principles are much more about like things like honesty. It's always a good idea to be honest. That's an example of a principle. It's not a value, it's not subjective. This is just the way the world works. Honesty, integrity, these kinds of things. And that basically you need to begin at this point and then work your way backwards if you wanna live a truly effective and productive life. And so we're gonna do that now. We're gonna work backwards from principle back to being organized. And he'll point out, uh, and you know, very, very obviously is that if you, if you go to principles as a Christian, you're almost there because we do rely on unchanging principles in order to live our life effectively, but it's a little bit further than just a principle because what we're talking about, we're talking about principles, is we're talking about a God-given design to this world and we need to relate to the Creator. So we need to look to God to find these unchanging uh, sort of objective truths to live by. But it's not simply that we're following the rules, we're aligning ourselves with fellowship and serving God. We're, we're aligning ourselves with really following God rather than following rules. And this is where productivity starts. Because you start doing the right things when you're aligned rightly with your Creator. And so when you're in right fellowship with God, you're beginning to do the things that please Him. You're beginning to do things that have faith in Him and, and sort of project the right attitude towards life in general. And so it means that what you'll end up doing is the right things, not necessarily everything. And so you're not going to be necessarily efficient with your time in the sense that I'm going to get, get so much done because God will point you to things like having a Sabbath and having private devotion as sometimes the most productive thing you can do with your time. 
And that might fly in the face of the idea of productivity, thinking like, oh, no, productivity is about getting a lot done. No, no, no. Productivity is about getting the right things done. And if you follow God, he's going to lead you to rest at times and to contemplate and to think deeply about things. So we start with a God-centered life. We start by saying, and obviously this is what holiness is as well, so we're kind of going full circle here. But we start with a God-centered life, and then the next step is, what has God put me here to do? And one of the things that we've identified already is that God has put me here to love others. So we started this idea that my life now needs to be categorized by love, and so it becomes a value. This is something that I value. I value loving others. And so in that, what should our values be? Well, if it's a love is a value, then it's going to kind of come out in the, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep using the word values, but this is kind of where it blends together with goals. But serving others and meeting the material needs of the world, sorry, not the material, meeting the felt and spiritual needs of the world around us, doing good for others in creative and generous and competent ways is going to be an absolute core component of our life. Jonathan Edwards says this, he says, there is another that has made you and preserves you and provides for you and on whom you are dependent. And he has made you for himself and placed you for the good of your fellow creatures and not only for yourself. He has placed you before higher and nobler ends than self, even the welfare of your fellow man and of society and of the interests of his kingdom. And these Sorry, and for these you ought to labor and live, not only in time, but for eternity. So this is, this is what our life is. Our life is one in which we are living for the glory of God and for the betterment of those around us. And so a goal can be for being proactive and not reactive in doing good. You know, we want to live a life that we're not essentially waiting until catastrophe strikes before we're willing to step in and help. We're living a such a life of like, we're looking for opportunities to serve around us. We are proactively keeping our eyes and ears open to see where we could be of service. And so it's kind of like when you own a car, you don't wait until the, you've literally run out of gas before you seek to find gas to fill your car up with. That's stupid. We don't wait until there's catastrophe around us before we help. We are looking around us to see what we can do to better the lives of others uh, around us. That's a value, a goal we have. Uh, Spurgeon says this, he says, Let us be on watch for opportunities and usefulness. Let us go about the world with our ears and eyes open, ready to avail ourselves of every occasion for doing good. Let us not be content till we are useful and make this the main design and ambitions of our life. So that would be one of the first goals, about being proactive about doing good. The second goal we can have for our life is to master your job. We all have jobs. Not necessarily all of us have jobs in which it's all obvious how we are of service to God in those jobs. But I would argue that no matter what your job is, there's a way you can do it in a godly way. And one of those things is obviously integrity, so be an honest person. But the second one is to be really, really good at what you do and to put yourself into it, to master your job. Doing a half-hearted job at something is really a failure of love 
Because you're there to serve your other co-workers, you're there to serve the company, to serve the managers above you. Whether or not you like them is not really an object that, that should come into your mind so much. You're there to please God. And God does care about the way that you conduct yourself at work. So be creative and passionate about meeting the demands of the job that you have and improving the systems to make the, the workplace even better than it currently is. This is the kind of attitude we should have towards our work. That's a loving, service-minded attitude that we can have. So master your job is another goal that we have. Become really good at it. And the good news is, the better you get at your job, the more effective you get at it. Also, the less time it'll take to do certain tasks. So you can benefit from that as well, getting your job done more quickly and therefore leaving yourself, leaving yourself room to do other things as well. So if these two are goals, then the next thing is to kind of make plans around it. And the plan would be to, to eventually weave your goals into your daily life. Uh, one of the things I was reading about uh, making schedules used the, 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 the terminology, making a schedule tames time. And I love that kind of illustration because it does you know, present time as something that's kind of wild, something that's out of our control. And haven't we all felt that way at times? Like, oh man, I just, I can't get a hold of my life. I can't get a hold of my schedule. It's just my life's a mess. I'm constantly running from one thing to another. It's got this kind of wild component to this. So they're saying making a component, sorry, making a schedule is the way to tame time. And have you ever heard of the big rocks first principle when, when it comes to making a schedule? Have I lost everyone now? It's, it's a very well-known idea, but it's essentially, if you're making a schedule, it's kind of like fitting a whole bunch of rocks into a jar. And so you'll have like this big glass jar and these whole like arrangements of rocks on the table. And the guy will ask like, How are you, do you think you can fit all of these rocks into the jar? And people will be like, no, it's too many rocks. And so then what he'll do is he'll, he'll, he'll begin to fill the, the jar with all the different rocks, but he'll start with the biggest ones. Because the first thing you're going to do is put the very biggest rocks in there, and they take up a certain amount of space. But then you put the smaller rocks in them, and the thing is, they find their way around the big rocks. And then you could put smaller ones, which find their way among those, and then so on and so on, until the last thing you do is pour a bunch of sand in there, and the sand just kind of fills it up completely. And the principle goes, you actually have room in your life for all kinds of things, but you have to put the big rocks in first. Because if you try to add a bunch of stuff, and then the last thing you want to put in is the big rocks, they are not going to fit, because physics. But if you put them in lot first, they will fit. And so when you're making a schedule, you've got to put the big rocks in first, which means you have to integrate your values into your schedule. You have to integrate things like being proactive, not reactive about doing good, about mastering your job. Fit them into your schedule. And so for plans, you've got big rocks first, right? Let's go right first. So by doing so, you, you're going to integrate the values in your life as they, as they relate to the different roles you have. So for instance, for me, I am a husband and a father and a pastor and a friend and salt and light to the world around me. These are the, just some of the roles that I have. And I have values and goals for each of these roles. I have goals for the kind of father I want to be, the kind of husband I want to be, the kind of pastor I want to be, and so on and so on. And so when I look at the different ways I spend my time, I must guard and value these blocks of time. 
I need to put aside enough time to be a good father because that's a goal I have. There's values I have attached to it. It's a big rock. I need to put that in there. I need to put aside time to be a good husband. Big rock. I'm going to put that in there too. So I have to put these big rocks in first because they align with the kind of role I have and the value attached to that role. It's important to me to do these things. And so it's the right, it's, it's doing the right things. It's how to live an effective life. I got to put that in there. I got to make sure. And so when we do this and we start to understand, okay, I need plans and goals for these different things that I value in my life, then it leads us to now the last thing, getting organized. And this is kind of where a lot of people start and end when it comes to being productive. But I hope you understand the value of the journey that we get on, go on to get there, to even identify what it means to be organized and to be productive. We do need to go on this journey first to see what is the principle that underlies our life? What is the value that relates to that principle? How do I you know, make goals that line up and put them in such a way that they, that they will be represented in my schedule? And now we come to actually making a schedule. And so when it comes to making a schedule, what we have to do is simply create the right kind of routines. Everyone's schedule is going to look different. Everyone's life has to be flexible enough to change your schedule when you need to as well. But by and large, there needs to be some things that are almost non-negotiable about the way we lead a productive, effective life. And so I'm going to go through six things, uh, and some of them you're going to hate, but I encourage you to consider them anyway. And you're going to hate the first one. The first one, a good routine to have in life, is get up early. Yeah, I hear you. Getting up early, and probably when I'm saying early, I mean like a few hours before your day begins, like, you know, you have to go to work or whatever it is, is necessary to do the next things I'm going to talk about, okay? The only exception to this rule is if you can stay up late and it be effective and be an effective use of time. So, for instance, there's a guy named Al Mohler, and Al Mohler is a prolific writer. I mean, he writes a stupid amount of books. He does his best work between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. That's for him a good strategy because he can make it work. He can make those four hours in his day really, really effective at writing and researching and doing what he needs to do. If you are that person, then that's the only exception. I'm not saying, oh, I'm really good at staying up late and watching Netflix, <laughs> Jim. But I am saying, sorry to pick on you, Jim. Everyone actually does that. I am saying that if you can make it work well, then consider it. The reason you need to do that is so that you can have a block of uninterrupted time do this next thing. The next thing is daily workflow. And what this is, is essentially a 60 to 90 minute window that you are going to get a few key things done. And I promise you, if you take this seriously, you will be amazed at how effective just this little one hour of your day can, can make to your life. So the first thing you do in this 60 to 90 uninterrupted time, so you put away everything that you don't need. You make sure, that's why it's good to do it early in the morning. Most people are still asleep. You can get on without much distraction. First thing you do is you plan your day. Identify what you need to do. 
You can identify it. Uh, what is it again? Identify it, list it, so make a list. ID, list, and schedule it. Okay, so that is step one. Step two is empty your inbox. What I, mean, uh, what I mean by this is basically deal with the correspondence that are waiting. So if you have to answer certain emails, if you have to you know, write certain texts, if you have to just sort of get stuff out of your way and moving in terms of correspondence, do it then. Once you've done that, you want to do, uh, and this comes from the book that I was reading, that um, What's Best Next, and it took me a while to understand this because what he said is daily main activity. And it confused me at the beginning because I didn't understand what he meant by main activity. But what he essentially meant was every day you want to be doing the thing that you're best at, the thing that you're passionate about. So if you're a creative person, you want to be doing something creative each day, even if it's only 30 minutes, 40 minutes. If you are a good encourager of people, you, you're going to write that note that you wanted to write to encourage someone or, you know, bang out that, that sort of long email that you want to give to them. If you're a good organizer, whatever it is, you're going to be wanting to spend a small amount of time each day doing that thing. And the reason for that is because it's going to help you to keep a foothold in making sure you're doing the thing that you're passionate about doing the thing that gives you satisfaction and joy in life as well. And we want to see this under a serving others mindset. So when you're thinking about what is it that I'm passionate about, what is it that I'm best at, how can I use that to serve others, right? So Lucho is a great graphic-y kind of guy. He loves to design things. How can he use that best to serve others, how can he you know, play around with things to, to create beautiful art that can be used uh, to help other people, something like that. And the, next, the last thing you wanna do with that 60 to 90 minutes is next step for projects. So when you have goals and projects, this is the time where you can do some more work in getting them realized, getting them closer and closer to being completed. So after you've done this, you can kind of go on with your day. Like, you know, got to go, go to work now, got to go and, you know, I got to cook breakfast for the kids, whatever it is. You get on with your day. The third thing in making your life, uh, sort of having good routines, is having a weekly schedule. Uh, I'm just going to say routine. Better. Weekly routine is simple as it sounds. You're going to make sure that your week is plotted out. Okay, Monday, what am I doing? Tuesday, what am I doing? Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, what am I doing? And as much as you can, and my life's a bit chaotic, so I can't do this with a great sense of um, clarity, but as much as possible, I want to put blocks of time in my week. So Monday is my Sabbath, all right? Tuesday is my meeting day. Uh, after I kind of do my stuff in the morning, I try to get as many meetings as I can in during the first part of the day and towards the last part of the day is when I start writing my sermons, okay? Wednesday is kind of CU20 day. I start late in the day so that I can be with my kids in the morning, which is something I value. So I, I stay uh, at home until about 10 a.m. and then I begin to work, stuff like that. Thursday, Friday, whatever, whatever. For me, this goes to the next one as well, prayer and scripture reading. 
So that's the fourth routine. Obviously, we're still, this is still, believe it or not, a sermon on holiness. Um, so, and I'm just going to say prayer and devotional, Evo. You need to incorporate this into your life. You need to do so in a meaningful way. Your holiness depends on this. If we do not forget what we said previously about the necessity to encounter God in meaningful ways, prayer and scripture reading are absolutely important. Some people find it best to do it early in the morning. Some people find it best to do it late at night. I find it best to do it in the middle of the day. I find it best if I take about half an hour between like noon and one o'clock to do it. It's really, really effective for me to do it then. And so I try to do it then. The fifth thing is uh, sort of self-improvement in the sense of like reading stuff just for your own sense of growth, uh, development. So, you know, working on a course, working on, uh, I don't know, something, developing relationships with other people, whatever it is, and exercise. So I'm just going to say R, D, and E. So reading, development, and exercise, obviously these are things that fall under the banner of sort of like, I want to improve in different areas of life. I want to you know, maintain a certain level of health and a certain level of mental stimulation. So we incorporate this into uh, a, a routine that we have in life. And the last one is rest. So taking Sabbath. It is really important for you people at this age to take this seriously. And when I say you, I mean me as well. We are very, very prone to not resting from just like filling our day with all kinds of stuff, filling our week with all kinds of stuff. Make sure you are resting. Make sure you are taking a day in which you can simply worship and reflect and do things that are life-giving rather than life-sucking. All right? So when we come and look at a schedule like this, we do so under always the banner of how am I living my life in a productive way, especially as it relates to serving others. We want to be as effective as possible, as effective as possible in living our lives so that we can produce as much as possible. We can do good in this world. We can be a force for righteousness in this world. And living a structured life, living a life of routine, a life where we set goals for ourselves, a life where we schedule our time, leads to a more effective life, which should lead to a life that's more service-orientated. I want to end uh, the sermon today looking at another quote by Jonathan Edwards. And by the way, when I've said this, I understand that you may raise all kinds of objectives, uh, sort of objections to, oh, well, this doesn't really work for me, or this daily workflow, I can't do all of this because my hobby or my passion doesn't fit into a 30-minute window. I understand that. Take this as a guide. Take this as a good th thing to think about. If you need to structure it differently and you need to say, okay, well, that, that thing there needs to find another you know, place in my, in my day, that's fine. Still try to do as much of this as you can. At the end of the day, this is just a suggestion. It will always require flexibility. But I hope that you can take at least a few of these things and say, you know what, I need to get serious about getting up early or having a regular prayer and devotional or making sure I'm incorporating rest or whatever it is. Doing these things will have a marked impact on your life. Uh, and this is the thing that I've begun to do more, more recently, the daily workflow. It's really, really good at helping me stay on top of the kinds of things that very commonly slip through the cracks of my life. I want to end with this quote by Jonathan Edwards. He says this, If you are selfish and make yourself 
and your own private interests your, your idol, then God will leave you to yourself and let you promote your own interests as well as you can. But, oh, sorry. But if you do not selfishly seek your own, but do seek the good things that are Jesus Christ's and the things that are of your fellow human beings, then God will make your interests and happiness his own charge. And he is infinitely more able to provide and promote it than you are. The resources of the universe move at his bidding, and he can easily command them to uh, subvert, your, uh, yeah, subvert your welfare. So, so that not to seek your own in the selfish sense is the best way of seeking your own in a better sense. It is the directest course you can take to secure your highest happiness. Why do we seek holiness? We seek it for, because it's the best possible life we can live. Not only for the sake of others, but for the sake of ourselves. The reason that we lack satisfaction in life is because often what we are filling our life with is things that don't match our values. When we start to seriously think about a productive life, we're talking about living a life that will match your values and providing you with the best possible values to live your life. This is a life of satisfaction and of joy, and it just so happens to also be a life of holiness. Why don't we pray together? God, as we come to the idea of loving others and come about it in this strange kind of backwards way, I'm aware, Lord, that this is uh, odd for us to think about, but I do believe, God, that you are in this and that you desire for us to live lives that are highly productive, that are effective at meeting the needs of the world around us and, and, and setting God-sized goals and vision. So I pray, Lord, that you help us not to forget what we've learned tonight, but myself included, be challenged and to react appropriately to the idea of, of living a life that's far more goal-oriented and in line with the values that you have set for us. We pray, Lord, that you would help us, each and every one of us, to become highly effective people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about us, you can find us on the website peoplesmontreal.org. There you'll find information about where and when we meet, as well as a catalog of past sermons and other resources. Hope to see you soon.